Let's go. In the Hulk Hogan's world of head-banging crazy. This is sick. And one totally terrifying dude out to destroy a legend with no referee. Get the picture. No ring. Yeah. And no rules. <laughs> Hulk Hogan rips them for keeps in No Holes Barred. Monday at 8 on Channel 11, New York's Movie Station. You like it, a juice? Yeah, I, could, I guess I wasn't ready. I was supposed to say you like it, the juice at the beginning of this, and I didn't. Um, I, I, I don't like speaking in hyperboles, but uh, I think this is the greatest movie ever made. Well, let me uh, answer that uh, proposition with a question, George. My question is, what's that smell? Doogie. <laughs> You fucking jockass. <laughs> uh, welcome to Saturday Night Jive, where we talk about Saturday Night Live and Saturday Night Live related movies. This week, we are watching, or we watched No Holds Barred from 1989, starring the immortal Hulk Hogan himself as Rip. Uh, this is not really SNL related, but Hulk Hogan did host Saturday Night Live once, and if you'd like to hear our thoughts on that episode, see episode uh, 212 of the podcast. Uh, spoiler alert, he wasn't that good. No, I think the fact that we had already watched the Hulk Hogan episode made this, I mean, to the extent that you're the only one that cares about connecting it to <laughs> SNL anymore, I, th- I feel like that's enough of a connection. Well, I like to keep all the movies we do at least canonical to Saturday Night Live or the podcast itself. So, like, that's why I I wouldn't want to do a movie like, I don't know, some fucking Serbian porn movie or something you'd want to watch. Why? What? I assume you're referencing the actual movie called a Serbian film, which I've already watched for my other podcast, Dirty Sons of Pitches, and it's actually not as bad as its reputation. Uh, but uh, that has nothing to do with a movie that, yes, I agree, is the greatest movie of all time. Like, almost immediately, this movie, I was like, oh, fuck, I forgot how great this was. Uh, my history of this film, I saw this as a kid, and remember, like, thinking it was, like, stupid and i was into wrestling and i was like well that's a dumb movie and then i saw it as an adult and i fucking loved the shit out of it i thought it was hilarious i had forgotten so much of this movie as i was watching it today this is a fucking classic piece of cinema and it's the first time i'm seeing it Uh, i've seen it I, i never watched this before i think i might have listened to the how did this get made episode about it because i i knew about the dookie thing but that's the only thing i remember that's the only and i never actually that's the only part of this movie i remembered from being a child like as a kid me and my friends would were saying what's that smell dookie (laughs) but and i and i will say because i i i over the past, I would say maybe year or at least a couple months, like since I sort of stopped taking like dedicated notes for these episodes, uh, I kind of felt guilty. Like I feel like I'm not putting in the work and like doing enough. But I don't think it was my fault. I think it was just the movies because like I I watched this movie. I got a whole fucking page <laughs> of notes. Like normally we like bounce around and we're like I don't know. I guess is there anything else we want to talk about? Man of the house? I don't know. Here. We can go scene by scene. I don't care. I, I have notes on literally every fucking sequence of this This might film. be the first seven-hour podcast of Saturday Night Jive. 
<laughs> and and I want to start with uh, for people who don't know, No Holds Barred. It's a it's a Hulk Hogan movie about basically thinly veiled. I would say it's like his fantasy of what his life <laughs> is in the eighties because uh, he co-wrote it. But they they had a script. Uh, they didn't like the script, so Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan, I guess, did a bunch of coke in a hotel room over a weekend and rewrote in the script. In 72 hours, they rewrote the screenplay to this movie. And I, it's the opening credits to this movie just lets you know right away, when you see produced by Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon, like, that's right away, you're like, okay, baby, I'm watching a film. <laughs> And I don't know which version you watched. I watched the, I think, I believe it was the 2012 re-release because the logo at the beginning was WWE, which when this was made, it was the WWF still before the, I think it was the World Wildlife Federation sued them. Yes, and then they had to change their name to World Wrestling Entertainment. Back when I was a kid, wrestling was real. It was not fake. Older boys would tell you it was fake and you wouldn't believe them. It was like fucking Santa Claus. They did not, uh, they, they tried to have the reality of a fucking actual sport and then somewhere in i think the switch to worldwide or world wrestling entertainment they were like oh yeah no these are just fucking dancers like john cena's not getting punched in the face every night that's not actually happening this is ballet with muscle men and well and that's actually what i kind of want to get at because that's a significant element of this movie is that within the context of the movie wrestling is literally it is to the death is a sport (laughs) It is, oh, yes. But it's like, I mean, even the, the reputable version of it that Rip plays, not the, you know, the underground wrestling cover, but like, it's like, he's the, he's a, a champion and he's, act, they're actually fighting. And, and like, this, it's not supposed to be like, though at one point they do mention the Rip character as a thing. So I don't, but I think, I think you're supposed to believe that wrestling is real in this world. Right? Yeah, I, I assume so. It's a, it's an actual uh, sport, yeah. At the very least, they never they never break the kayfabe, as they say, the, that, that suggests that it would be fake. But I, I did want to start there because I I've always had a problem with that. People saying wrestling is fake when they what they mean to say is it's choreographed and scripted. Because you mentioned ballet, you wouldn't call ballet fake. <laughs> no. You wouldn't be like, oh, these these people they didn't make that that dance up as they went along. This is fake. You wouldn't watch an episode of episode of Friends and go, I don't believe any of these people are really friends. This is so fucking fake. It's a sitcom. It's written. It's it's, it's that's the whole point. And the stunts are all real, or at least they they feel like I couldn't do those stunts. I'd get my fucking ass kicked. And I feel like when people say wrestling is fake, what they really mean is, I think wrestling fans are stupid and believe this is real, which I don't think they ever did or ever do. And I want to condescend to them by saying wrestling is fake. I'm I'm smarter than you, so I'm going to tell you this thing that you actually know, but I'm going to pretend you are too stupid to, to actually know that wrestling is fake. It's always just been sort of condescending to the wrestling audience more so than an actual observation. Uh, I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I say it in the way of it's they're not actually punching each other in the face. And you would think professional wrestlers would be a little better at stunt choreography because for a lot of this movie... The punches aren't landing at all, and like sometimes people's reactions to punches are way off. It's very s- sloppily choreographed stunt stunt work. Well, that was another question I had when I was when I was watching this because yeah, the stunt work is clearly from the world of wrestling, where it's it's you know playing to the rafters. It's you know out you know 
uh, um, what do you call, uh, exaggerated uh, you know, mannerisms and everything. Uh, and that's not movie stunt work. Movie stunt work is a completely different art, and it's meant to be more subtle and concealed by camera movements, which this is a first-time director. I looked him up. He's done a lot of TV stuff, but not a lot of other movies. Gee, I wonder um, why. <laughs> Well, this was his first film. Uh, he did a movie in 2002 that actually kind of looked interestingly bad called Unspeakable with Dennis Hopper as a prison warden. I kind of want to check out now. But uh, uh, it's clear this was filmed like the cinematic version of wrestling matches rather than wrestling in a movie like, say, like Darren Aronofsky's The Wrestler or something like that. But I was curious. That it made me curious. Like, what do you I, I wonder what stuntmen like actual movie stuntmen think of wrestling? Do they think of them as like we're kind of the same thing or do they kind of condescend to them or have a problem with them? I'm curious because like I, I, I had this question when they were he was doing the fight on the car where like the stunts seem more like movie stunts in that sequence. And like I was just wondering, like, like, I don't know. Did they bring in different stuntmen for that scene and for certain scenes, and they they didn't know how to do the wrestling stuff, so they brought in the wrestling people to do those scenes? Oh, uh, possibly. Yeah, I would imagine if like a a real stuntman like walked on the set of No Holds Barred and Hulk Hogan walked out, they'd be like, "All right, I'm the professional here. Let me teach let me teach blonde mustache how to throw a punch convincingly." Because he clearly doesn't know. <laughs> well, let's just start from the beginning. Uh, Hulk Hogan plays Rip. And he, I guess his name is Rip, or he's named after the fact that he rips his shirt off, because that's what he does. That's his whole thing, is he rips his shirt uh, off. Well, yeah, we never we never get backstory on whether Rip is his Christian name or his stage name. Um, well, I guess maybe that's what they mean by the Rip character. It's not like, oh, this is pretend, and you're playing a character. It's like, well, your name's not really Rip. Like, that's not a real name. <laughs> Because I, I read this online that because obviously Hulk Hogan also did that. He'd rip his shirt off and that was his thing. Uh, but it, I guess his in real life, his shirts didn't say rip on him because that's obviously not his character. Uh, it, they would say American made. And I wonder like that feels like an unintentional insult to America. If they were shirts designed to be ripped, like they were designed to appear flimsy and poorly made so as to be rippable. But they said American made on them. Isn't he like the patriotic guy? Shouldn't they be American made and then he tries to rip them and he can't because they're just so well made? These well made American shirts. Nothing's ripping these bad boys. And then he takes that off. He's like, I can't rip this open. And then like whatever, whatever, I'm guessing fake Middle Eastern country the Iron Shake came from. He'd get a shirt from there <laughs> made in uh, Punchistan or whatever. And then he'd rip that. Oh, look how flimsy your, your Punchistan t-shirts are. Well, yeah, wrestling did get really political in the, in the early 90s. Well, that's when I was really into wrestling. I, I think we were both into, into wrestling in that era. I don't know what the appeal was for you necessarily. For me, it, it was because it felt like like a live action comic book come to you know come to life. There was good guys and bad guys. Like there was Papa Shango, who was like a fucking voodoo. Like they had magical powers. Undertaker was like a supernatural entity. And then somewhere it was around the time like The Rock and Stone Cold came along, and it just like they they got rid of all that and they just. Like, they weren't clear heroes and villains anymore. They were just sort of all assholes. They call it the Attitude Era. And that's what I completely, completely lost me. And this movie encapsulates, like, my era of wrestling, where it's like, the good guys are super good and the bad guys are super evil, and they just clash in the ring. Well, it's it was it was so cartoony, too. I, I think that's what appealed to me a lot. Like, my favorite wrestlers were the Bushwhackers. 
who were these two guys in camouflage pants, uh, and they were like toothless bald hillbillies. <laughs> it's like it's just it was silly and fun. I mean, they had Doink the Clown, yeah. and I believe they introduced a midget version of Doink the Clown at some point as Dink, Dink, Dink the, the Clown, clown right? Of course. Um, yeah, no, it was silly and cartoony, and I wonder if, uh, like, because, like, then when I was in high school, yeah, it was a lot of, like, suck it, you know, and then that's when they started bringing in the babes and stuff, and I wonder if they were just trying to grow with their audience, like, they amassed this huge uh, fan base of wrestlers who were kids, and then as they got older, they got into high school, oh, we've got to start throwing in some tits, you know, for that, because they're getting older, and then now it's like, oh, well, now we got to... Uh, some of them are veterans, so we have to uh, say fuck Iraqis. And you know, it's that's weird that you you phrase it like that because that that makes perfect sense. And on paper, that sounds like a really smart move, and it probably was ultimately. I mean, I, I feel like most people that were fans of wrestling stuck with it, and and you know, there are it's it's I think it's a, a much bigger thing now. You get a lot of like wrestling nerds, which I didn't really think think was a thing necessarily growing up. Um, like there's whole podcasts about just like wrestling lore and shit, but like like that's what I would say you should do, and yet it lost me when it tried to do that. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, it. I was into wrestling from like second grade to sixth grade, and I think that's the appropriate age to be into wrestling. Like once you hit junior high, you can't watch this shit anymore. Well, I'm also thinking of like all the other stuff that I like I loved as a kid that I'm now, you know, like looking at as an adult, like Star Trek has gotten really dark and gritty and I don't like it anymore because I want the, you know, the hopeful Star Trek of my youth. And it's like, maybe I just I don't want the things I like to grow up. I want to just <laughs> stay a kid. Well, no, this movie, man, no holds barred. This fucking I felt like a kid watching this. Oh, I know. It's so exuberant, and just every scene is insane. And it's, and again, it's that, like, sort of very good, good guys and very bad. Fucking Kurt Fuller in this movie. Academy Award worthy. Who fucking won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor in 1989? Uh, because they owe Kurt Fuller a fucking apology. <laughs> fucking. I think his first words and his last words as he dies at the end are jock ass. <laughs> jock? What is he? What even is that? I don't know, but he says it like 20 times. And every time he says it, I'm like, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> I love fucking Kurt Fuller. I want that jock ass on this network. Uh, well, before that, just Hulk Hogan's entrance in this slow motion and then he's just walking to the fucking ring and it's all ADR. Like, he's just walking to the ring and then you hear him go, Hey, Randy, yeah, we're going to have a good match. But his, like, his mouth is not moving. Like, it's not well-edited ADR. And I just I fucking wrote in my notes. Classic. Like, three minutes. Fucking classic film already. No, every fucking... Like I said, I, I have that shit on every scene. I, I This movie took me like three and a half hours to watch because I kept pausing to write down another thing. Like, I got to fucking talk about that. Oh, yeah. no, I, And then, yeah, you get the Kurt Fuller scene where he's watching uh, Hulk Hogan's wrestling match and like cheering for him to die. And then I love how <laughs> it's a board meeting with all men and one woman. And he goes, Mrs. Harrison, you survived my purge. And then she's like, oh, well, what if we uh, pitched a sitcom? And he goes, take a leak. So, Ms. Tidings. 
You survive my little purge. Reward my faith in you. I have taken the liberty of asking a writer to work up a high-concept sitcom. Next! Miss Tidings, take a leak. <gasps> and here's the thing about Kurt Fuller in this movie, and I realized it about halfway through, or I guess I wasn't really thinking in these terms at first, but... Because but like the first thing he says, he talks like everything's about ratings. It's all ratings, and I was like, that sounds kind of Trumpy. But what I realized is that's not. I mean, it is Trumpy, but that's Vince McMahon. Yeah, no. Kurt Kurt Fuller is clearly like a Vince McMahon analog, and Vince McMahon wrote this fucking movie, and he wrote himself as the villain. Yeah, yeah. I, he has to be aware of that. Like that has to be like on purpose. Well, maybe he was modeling on like uh, like Ted Turner or something too. Um, but yeah, no, I well. I mean, Vince McMahon probably is like that in real life, but that's the character he took on when he joined the WWF and started, like, becoming a character in his own right. But that's the thing. I think that that also kind of lends to my theory, I think, that he knew this was about him. Like, he knew that this character was sort of an exaggerated version of himself. Yeah, no, I I was definitely... Couldn't help but think that while I was watching the movie. I was also wondering if it just... Like, Kurt Fuller, uh, I can't think of a time, he's like one of them Stephen Tobolowskis. I mean, I know it's, you know, it's probably baldest to compare two bald character actors to each other. I would say they're two of my favorite character actors. Yeah, and they're always good. Like, I can't think of a time where I was like, oh, fuck, Stephen Tobolowski's in this movie? What, oh, Kurt Fuller's showing up in this fucking piece of shit? Like, no, if I'm watching a piece of shit movie and Kurt Fuller shows up, I'm like, Oh, good. Thank you, Kurt Fuller. Oh, I remember a movie that he sucked in. Uh, he was in Diamonds, and they did. he had like one line, and it's like, why did you even have Kurt Fuller for this oh, part? Oh, that's true. We did talk about that when we watched Diamonds. But that was just the part. He had like, yeah, he was just like, hey, don't take Grandpa in that car. He could have gotten a non-Kurt Fuller actor for that, but I'm glad he got a paycheck for being in Diamonds. And this is a weird uh, pre-Supernatural crossover at... Uh, I didn't realize this until I, uh, Mark Pellegrino, who plays his little brother, uh, who most people probably know as Jacob from Lost. Yeah, that was trippy seeing him as like a little baby. Uh, he he plays Satan on Supernatural, and Kurt Fuller plays another villain, Zachariah, an evil angel, both in the same season. They kind of work together. So they actually work together in this and then in that and then later on in that. That was kind of interesting. Uh, to who? <laughs> <laughs> to me, as a fan of Supernatural, and also No Holds Barred. And I, I'm pretty sure it was in the IMDb trivia, so it was interesting to whoever fucking added that. <laughs> was that you? It was not me. I'm too lazy. I always go like, I should add something to this, and then I click on it, and it's like, you gotta sign in to do that, and I'm like, fuck that. <laughs> uh, I was, but I was wondering if, like, because there's the scene where, uh, so Kurt Fuller, he, alright, so here's the plot of the movie. Uh, Rip, is the star of, uh, of of wrestling, and wrestling is like the biggest show on this one network. Kurt Fuller runs a rival network, and he wants uh, Hulk Hogan to join his network and be his big star. So there's this scene where Kurt Fuller is trying to entice him with a blank check, and then uh, you know Hulk Hogan tears up the check and rips it down his throat. In that scene, I was wondering if Kurt Fuller was like, this fucking wrestler isn't giving me anything. I'm just going to fucking act as hard as I can, and maybe he'll pick up some acting from me. Some of my acting will run off on Hulk Hogan. 
well, I, I want to break down this scene because I have several bullet points. <laughs> the first being, he sits down in a chair, and before that, they establish it's some kind of famous chair. I don't remember. It was like Rachmaninoff's chair or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he, and then he sits down, and it immediately starts cracking under the weight of his awesomeness. <laughs> And Kurt Fuller's just like, ah, eh, he would have been proud <laughs> to have that chair broken. <laughs> and then uh, uh, Hulk Hogan refuses his offer because he's loyal. He's, at, he's already got a contract and he's not going to break a contract. And Kurt Fuller's like, everybody has his price. What, 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 you know, what's your price? And then uh, he says, I know him. And he gets up to leave. And then Kurt Fuller just fucking explodes. Him. You fucking stupid jockass, you piece of shit. You got, and he's like just you know giving him so much shit. And then... Hulk Hogan does the thing where he's like obviously pretending to, to sign that to accept the check, and right away Kurt Fuller doesn't understand this and just starts laughing like, "Yeah, I just did nothing but insult him to his face. That convinced him. Oh, thank you. Can't wait to see your offer on this check. It's clearly not gonna backfire in my face." And then like everybody in the room's laughing, and then yeah, he immediately shoves the check right down Kurt Fuller's throat, uh, which was fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I won't be around when this check clears yeah and then it says I won't be here when this check clears is that insinuating that he's not gonna wait around for Kurt Fuller to shit out that check and then right after this, he gets in his car, and they've already planned an assassination plot somehow? <laughs> That's a quick murder plot. They must have just assassins in the garage of this building. In the time it took him to leave the building and get to the get to the limo, they've already replaced his limo driver with a with an assassin, and they've already have other assassins like miles away in a warehouse somewhere. That it seems like he only gets there by accident because Hulk Hogan's like beaten the, in the inside of the car, so it seems like he's like not driving to where he's supposed. He's just driving randomly, but he still finds himself at the warehouse where all the other assassins are that Hulk Hogan can then beat the shit out of. Uh, and they've also either equipped uh, a car with murder doors, or they've rented a car with murder doors. Oh, I just assumed they were locked and he was too dumb to, like, know how to unlock them. No, they, like, like not the windows go up, but, like, steel partitions cover all the windows. Oh, I missed that part. Uh, and, and I don't know how the fucking physics of this work, but Hulk Hogan is somehow able to steer the car by kicking the back door? I think it's an inertia thing. I think he's kicking in certain directions, and that's causing the weight to sh the weight differential to shift, causing the car to you know to swerve. Because he doesn't even start with kicking. He first he like he just punches the the steel door, and the car just careens out of control. Well, because I think he punches it so hard that you see his the the shape of his fist come out of the other side. I feel like that's enough to shift the like the you know the what do you call it, velocity of the of, of the car. Okay, so he's kicking the door so hard that it is like making the back wheels just wobble all over the place. Yes, that's that was my take, but I I don't know. All right, well I could be wrong about the physics of no holds barred. Yeah, well we we need a fucking MythBusters episode. <laughs> Uh, uh, but yeah, and that, that gets us to the warehouse fight, uh, which is uh, where we get the classic 
moment that that we all know and love. Uh, he picks up a guy from a car. The man's entire backside is covered in shit. <laughs> Just wet, brown diarrhea stain. <laughs> What's that smell? <laughs> Which, you know, and it's, it, you can say it's goofy, and it's, it's a moment that, like, it, I mean, I, I don't even know, like, how you describe it in terms of its utility in the scene, other than a joke, a poop joke. Because it does also kind of get us out of the scene. It's also like his 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 reason to like I guess take pity on this guy and not punch him. Yeah, because that guy comes back. He's he's still a goon later on. Hulk Hogan's shitting his pants in front of a grown man didn't force this guy to get a new job. <laughs> like I would put in my fucking two weeks notice on the day I shit my pants in front of a giant blonde man. But the thing about this, as goofy and silly and funny as this moment is, and I will say legitimately funny, it's ironically funny as well, uh, but it's also like, it's a thing I didn't know I wanted to see in an action movie, like a legitimate action movie. You'd think this would have happened at some point. Like, action movies, it's always like henchmen and they fight. You'd think like one of the, the fucking diehard criminals is just like, I just came here to rob a place. I didn't want to fucking fight off a dude in a, in a thing. I'm going to poop my pants because I'm so scared of dying. Like, that would have happened once somewhere. And the fact that it's only ever happened to Holds Bard. <laughs> Kind of floors me. God bless you, Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan. <laughs> what hour? <laughs> what hour of the seventy-two hours do you think they came up with the Dookie line? <laughs> was that like hour two? They were like, "Hey, this has to go in the script," or was that like the last? The cocaine's wearing off, and they're like, "Uh, fuck it, a Dookie." <laughs> no, here's what happened. You know. Uh, when we do, because we like every year. Well, actually, we we didn't do it last year. I think we skipped. But uh, the the forty eight hour film festival, and you know, we get our prompts, and it's like, oh, you got to do a whatever a, a drama film and this ele- these elements, and then go, and then we drive home, and we're gonna write the script. But as we're driving home, we're like all bouncing around ideas, like, oh, we can do this or this or this. They had Dookie in the car on their way to the hotel room. They hadn't even broken into the cocaine yet. <laughs> they were walking up the stairs to their hotel room and they're like, the Dookie line's staying in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, remember Dookie? Hey, do you have a pen? Who has, where's a pen? We have to write down Dookie. Well, it's like, you know how sometimes you say, like, you, you watch a movie and you're like, oh, I think they wrote this backwards. They wrote the ending and then they just wrote everything to try to get to that. They wrote the Dookie scene and then they wrote the movie around the Dookie <laughs> scene. Filled it out like an onion. Just adding layers onto the dookie scene. Now, the important question to me, for our podcast purposes, does a an, an incon- uncontrollable shitting of the pants also count as a Mr. Skid of farts? Uh, no, but uh, wait for 28 minutes in, and we'll get a, definitely a visit from Mr. Skids. Um, but I didn't hear a fart, so no, just, like, we've established this. Shit is not farts. Well, I mean, shit is not farts like like just a, a pile of poop. But if if like in the context of the scene, the poop comes out of the ass. Farts are all gas is also coming out of the ass. 
Two things can come out of things. I'm just saying, the gas propels the... We were That's there like with them as it was happening. That's like just a fucking queef. No, but queefs are involved. <laughs> if this was a podcast that had a, a Mr. Skin... I would say Mrs. Skin of queefs, <laughs> any any birthing scene, I think, would qualify. No, no, just a, a man with shit in his pants. Does not count as Mr. Skids. I feel like you, you're you under the impression that he had the shit in his pants like all through this. Like he started with the shit in his pants. Clearly the stuff that was happening in the warehouse fight caused him to shit his pants. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Or when Hulk Hogan grabbed him out of the car. We don't know when the shit happened either. But we know that we were there for it, is my point. Mm, we do, do we? <laughs> you don't think maybe he just went to work, had an oopsies on the way, on the way into the office? See, because I totally. Oh, fuck, my boss called me. I have to drive Hulk Hogan to the murder den. But I got shit in my pants. They they arrange these assassination plots so quickly. (laughs) I don't even have time to clean the shit out of my pants. They don't give us decent bathroom breaks here as assassins. We gotta unionize, (laughs) boys. It's like Amazon, they're peeing in water bottles and shit in their pants and then killing people. So, after the dookie scene, Joan Severance is introduced as Hulk Hogan's new account manager, and Hulk Hogan just eye-fucks her through the entire business meeting. Which, first off, her name is, is it Samantha Ann Moore, and they always say it like that, Samantha Ann Moore. Is it supposed to be a joke like Samantha Ann Moore, like, and the more is we're gonna fuck later? Oh, like she's a James Bond girl? Yeah, I, I, that's kind of what I, t- or it could just be a coincidence, but I thought, is it a sex joke or just a really awkward name? Uh, I, I have no idea. But. Because she's clearly a sex object through most of this. You, he is biting his thumb. It's <laughs> just making a, a, like, cartoon eyeballs are popping out of his skull. When Joe Severance is like, here's what we have to do for marketing, you rip. And he's like, a bee, 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 bee. I mean, in his defense, Joan Severance is at the peak of her attractiveness, I feel like, in this film. I mean, I saw whatever them fucking panties she was wearing in that hotel room scene. But that's the, <laughs> the thing. The panties Hogan... that go from navel to knee. <gasps> Uh, that well, she doesn't have time to date George. <laughs> She's not trying to be sexy. And you think her. that was a character choice? Yeah, no, I think that was in character. You think Joan Severance was like, I think my character would wear the world's giantest underpants. Uh, but yeah, uh, she Hulk Hogan is like being incredibly lecherous. He's a huge creep in the scene, and this is of course in light of. Uh, all the weird sex tape stuff and like the fact that we found out he was a creep in real life later on, much later on. I believe he was also me too, in addition to that, right? I think so, yeah. Well, now he's so got just, like, I, oh, he's, he was just in the news. I think he's dying. <laughs> no, he had a surgery and I think there was some rumors that he couldn't walk after the surgery, uh, but he has since been seen walking. So either he healed or that was exaggerated. Oh, uh, okay. But just the fact that, like, this scene, he's like, yeah, I'm going to fuck this girl. Like, that's, like, all in his performance. But it's goes out of its way to, like, try to establish what a good guy he is. Because, like, she's like, we got to market you. And he's like, the most important thing about me is my charity work. Why don't you write that down, you fucking bitch, while I look at you like I want to fuck you? That is the only scene where the character of Rip is seen as, like, anything other than 
fucking Superman. Like, he runs a charity called Sports for Kids, for crying out loud. I missed that. Did they actually say that's what it was called? Yeah, there's a fucking banner. They're at like a Little League ballpark, and then there's just a banner that says Sports for Kids. But yeah, so much of this movie is about like, here's how cool and nice and decent Hulk Hogan is, or this character that is essentially Hulk Hogan. And then there's just, just this one scene where he's just like, oh, I want to fuck this bitch so hard. Yeah. Well, and then it's also weird because uh, uh, they're like, oh, this is your new account manager, Sam. And then he turns around and he sees that Sam is a woman and he's like, Sam. So it's like, oh, he assumed it was going to be a man. And just the fact that she's a woman who's like, working for you you're at a business meeting and i did want to highlight one uh, line from the scene too because she's going over like here's all the ways we can improve the marketing of, of rip and the, this is where they talk about the rip character and at one point she goes you know well uh, one of the the places where we're not really doing so well is the sportswear market and that just made me think like this is a guy whose whole persona is ripping his clothes. How are you going to break into the sport? What what company is going to be like, yeah, I want Rip, the clothes ripping guy, to represent my clothing line? Well, that's when you, you just manufacture uh, rippable shirts. And then you that's sell what them. I'm thinking. Yeah, you sell them for like, uh, you know, in a, in a 20 pack. And then people got to keep buying them, you know? So it's it's planned obsolescence. Of, of, exactly. What? You want to make a shirt that's going to last forever? No one would buy a second shirt. You know that? I didn't even think of that. That dimension of it, you'd market that as the, yeah, buy our shirts, rip them up, and then buy <laughs> our shirts again. Shirt. <laughs> you idiots like ripping your shirts? Fucking pay me for the shirts. No, I, I'm all turned around on that now. And they can uh, then go into a uh, fancy dress mode and uh, they can uh, market his <laughs> weird white tuxedo. Purple tuxedos. Are you a guy who likes ripping your shirts and you always get invited to weddings? Rippable tuxedos. Uh, the French restaurant that is in a church? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it was, yeah, filmed something in like a deconsecrated church or something. <laughs> that is very weird production design. It's, I, that's what I am assuming. I'm assuming that the, the location scout was like, oh, we can use this abandoned church for the French restaurant scene. And then they got on set and they're like, man, this looks like a church. Let's not hide that fact at all. Let's focus on the Jesus stained glass window. Well, I mean, there are churches that are like turned into breweries and shit. So it's, that's not necessarily entirely uncommon. I get yeah, All right. So maybe it's maybe that's canonical with the film. It's it is a French restaurant that operates out of an old Catholic church. But and I got I want to yeah we get into the the uh, the scene at, at dinner at the French restaurant where he just happens to get the one waiter who doesn't know him at all and isn't like his best friend so he's got this snooty waiter who's like look at this fucking stupid piece of shit uh, here do you know what a baguette is let me explain to you what a baguette is because you you all only like burgers and pizza you piece of shit would you like the quiche uh, I mean cheese pie. <laughs> But I'm afraid that Monsieur is looking for the hamburger American or the Outland hot dog. You will not find them on our menu. Rip, why don't you try the beef burger? It's like stupid. Mademoiselle, Monsieur Le Rip, 
Anton, you naughty boy. You should have said our friend is here. Monsieur la Anton is new. You must forgive him. Monsieur le the usual. Oui, bien sûr. J'ai faim. And then the chef comes out. He's like, oh, my best friend in the world, Rip, who comes in here all the time. Well, when he's sitting down, you can hear um, people in the restaurant, other customers going, oh, that's him. That's Rip. This maitre d' seems to be the only person in the world who doesn't know who Rip is. Well, and there's a guy who I think is like another waiter or maybe a busboy or something who's like, and I think in, you're supposed to think he's just a fan, but that's supposed to sort of foreshadow the fact that like all the staff know him, but he's like kind of like holding his hand and like reaching out to him. And then, yeah, this one guy's just like, look at this fucking piece of shit. <laughs> and he's new too. That's what they said. They go, oh, sorry, he's new. So on your first day working as a maitre d', you're like, oh, you fucking piece of shit customer. Hey, I'm doing a real good job, boss. And I love that they go, so this is Monsieur Le Rip. And the guy goes, Monsieur Le Who? Because, <laughs> like, yeah, I know it's my first day at a French restaurant, but I'm going to be the biggest fucking asshole I could be. But I'm sure, I'm pretty sure Monsieur Le Who isn't French, which suggests to me that this maybe <laughs> be isn't even French. <laughs> So he's uh, doing maybe yeah, and he's doing a French character, and he's like, "Oh yeah, all French people—they just act like assholes, right?" Yeah, they just—they hate people who seem remotely not sophisticated. I can do this, yeah. All right, yeah. My name is uh, fucking uh, Garcelli over here. And that—that that actually gets me to like a larger point because we're getting into the underground wrestling bar scene next, and because I was trying to pin down like the what if any point of view this film had. And at first I was kind of going for like a slobs versus snobs kind of thing. Cause like Hulk Hogan is clearly like man of the people. And this is a scene that sort of exemplifies that, you know, the snooty upper crust people don't understand him, but he's still good natured and humble about that. But like the rich executive guys, the Vince McMahons of the world, they look down on him cause they think he's just a lunkhead. And, and I was like, okay, that I'm fine with that as a perspective that makes sense with Hulk Hogan's brand. He's the all American, you know, you know, middle America loving guy. And then you get to this underground wrestling bar scene and it's like, oh, no, this movie hates those people, too. This movie just fucking hates everybody. <laughs> well, I think they have to find uh, somebody so indecent uh, to to take on Rip because, you know, anyone with any kind of morals at all uh, would never uh, go against Rip uh, in, in a fucking wrestling ring. See, I feel like they could have done something more nuanced i mean relative to the rest of no holds barred there were somebody because like they <laughs> wait, mentioned wait, nuance we are in the scene with the fart and when the guy goes teeny wees but no i, I well because we're getting to zeus the, the basically the main villain or at least you know sort of sub main villain of the movie kurt fuller is of course the main villain but like because you meant they mentioned he's he was trained by the same guy who trained rip they could have had a thing where he was sort of duped into it. Like he, like at the end, they kind of team up and they're like, no, we shouldn't be fighting. We're both on the same side. We're both, we both do it for the love of the, of the ring. And then they turn against Kurt Fuller. You know, they could have redeemed him rather than just make him the most irredeemable character in, in film history. Oh, well, that's weird because while I was watching the movie, I 
I wanted the same thing. I wanted more backstory on Zeus or a different uh, uh, use of him. And my idea was, why not just make him like a genetically engineered super wrestler? You know, like they couldn't find anyone who who fit. So they built the super perfect robot wrestler to take on on Rip. Well, we're skipping ahead a little bit. There's that scene. It's like a montage before their big fight. And it get, did give me kind of uh, um, Dolph Lundgren and Rocky Four vibes. Yeah. Where he's like watching Kurt Fuller has created this like hypnotism video <laughs> that he watches. He's <laughs> where Kurt Fuller's just going, Rip fucking raped your mother. And like all this other shit like. Just and he's, Zeus is just watching it, and going, "Oh, I'm gonna get ripped so bad." Uh, and that montage is cut, intercut with while Zeus is doing all of that, Rip is t- teaching his paralyzed brother how to walk again, and dipping him in a pool of ice or something. I don't know. Uh, again, this is not hyperbole. This is the greatest movie of all time. But yeah, I don't want to skip anything. So yeah, uh, after uh, the, the the scene in the restaurant, we see Kurt Fuller, and he's trying to find his, uh, basically his version of whatever the, the wrestling federation that Rip works for. He's trying to find his competition. Uh, it's And it's, is it Battle of the Tough Guys? <laughs> that, that's, that's what he comes up with for the name of his big wrestling competition on his network. The Battle of the Tough Guys. <laughs> Which I like it because, like, it, I'm guessing it. This wasn't the like on purpose. Like, they, this wasn't no. Why they did it? It's this accidentally way. genius. But yeah, because it's it reflects a character who doesn't understand anything about the thing he's trying to exploit. He so like yeah, he thinks like oh, battle of the tough guys. That's because that's what this is, right? That's what they're just tough guys fighting. Like, but he doesn't know anything about wrestling. And he doesn't care. He's just out to try to make a buck on it. So like, it's brilliant character wise, but it's not. I don't, yeah, that was not on purpose. No, absolutely. You know that when Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon were writing the screenplay, they were like, well, what do we call the uh, the wrestling match? I don't know. Uh, uh, Battle of the Tough Guys. Yeah, okay, I'm writing it down. Hand me more of that Coke. <laughs> Battle of the Tough Guys. That's a, that's a good one. That's a good one. Not as good as Dookie, but we're getting there. We're getting there. But that's, and you mentioned that. Every, I mean, I don't know if I just feel this way because I know that fact that they wrote it in 72 hours in a hotel room <laughs> or if I, I feel that anyway, but the, everything in this movie feels like the first draft of the most confident man in, in the world. <laughs> everything, he, he, they wrote it in the movie and they went, that's good, right? Printing money. <laughs> uh, and this is the, uh, the scene where we do get, in 28 minutes, kids, we get David Paymer and another Weasley guy going into a bathroom, and they're talking nasty about all these dirty people, and then we hear a big old fart. My God, I can't believe we're all serious. These are the stupidest, crudest, most subhuman beings I have ever encountered. And those waitresses, they ought to be in body bags, not wet t-shirts. <laughs> Would these idiots even know the difference? <laughs> Great color, Brill says. Yeah, if you like slime green. <laughs> How about pus yellow? <laughs> what the hell was that? And I feel like we're skipping ahead in this scene, because there's much more before we even get there. Oh, we did but skip I... the midget in the cage. You mean young Peter Dinklage? <laughs> According to the IMDb trivia, some <laughs> people mistake. 
the little person in a cage for Peter Dinklage, meaning some people are fucking idiots. Because he looks nothing. And I, after I read that, I actually went back to the scene like, did I miss something? Does he look anything like Peter Dinklage? I mean, he's also a little person, yeah. I guess. It, that It's... Is it racist? It's racist against against little people to think that person is Peter Dinklage. That's like, oh, Billy Barty is, uh, he looks fucking like Peter Dinklage, right? No. (laughs) But yeah, this, this bar scene, it's just the worst of the worst in terms of like cynicism about the human condition. They write a say, they walk in, the lady, the weird snorting waitress is like, you guys must be looking for the gay bar across the street, you fucking gay fucking faggots. Like, she's just the worst fucking homophobic person in the world. And then you just see, like, just little pockets of human misery. Well, and then, but everybody's having a good time, though. <laughs> like, people love this bar. Well, it, I guess you're not a Star Trek fan. It reminded me of the the pilot to Star Trek where they go to like the, the post-atomic horror where it's like after nuclear World War Three and they have like the, the kangaroo court and everybody's just like, hang them. It's just this, like, just the worst of humanity, just all collected in a room. Well, and, but I don't blame them for instantly not liking David Paymer and Kurt Fuller and the other Weasley guy. Is, is well, that's point. the thing. They're just as much, a, they're, they're, pieces of shit just at the different rung of the economic ladder but this scene is like this is where i just i came to this realization that like we're not even we're not going to get the slobs versus snobs where you have somebody to root for that's what i wanted that's what i always want in movies like this because this movie hates everybody and that just it kind of took it down a little bit for me uh what happens next well then, then we get into the bathroom scene which I wrote was completely oh. unnecessary. I don't know why they were extending the scene. Like we got the point of it. They recruited Zeus. Uh, they have their battle of the tough guys. They find their champion. And then like David Paymer needs to take a piss. And we're just going to see what that's like for <laughs> five minutes. <laughs> I didn't even think about that, but this is a scene where it's like, let's just follow the two henchmen while they use the bathroom. <laughs> And I mean, it does lead to one of the funnier jokes in the movie, t- uh, the tiny penis thing. Uh, yeah, and I like, I you know, I, I don't look down on these people who are enjoying this wrestling bar. They, they're having a good old time, and I say God bless them for it. And, and I liked this character of Bubba, uh, possibly my favorite character in the movie. Uh, Bubba, who... Um, well, he's essentially a stand-in for the Bushwhackers. Oh, maybe that's why I loved him, yeah. Because he immediately takes a bet from Kurt Fuller. Kurt, uh, yeah, they're they're paying for their beers, and uh, they're like, "Do you take credit cards? Only cash. And if you ain't got cash, you have to answer to Bubba." And then Kurt Fuller's like, "He can keep the change if he wrestles that man in the ring." And Bubba's like, "Okay." He takes the fucking twenty dollar bill and punches a man in the face. I feel like this was because he does come back later on. I feel like it was a missed opportunity to make him a recurring character, like more central to the plot. Like maybe he teams up with Rip, like you got to like he's a big he's the biggest fan or something. And like, you know, he's the one that maybe tells him that Zeus is coming for like something like make him part of the gang. (laughs) He teams up with he teaches Randy how to walk after he's been paralyzed. 
Well, because like you can, because you, you establish, because later on we have find out that Joan Severance is actually working for Kurt, for Kurt Fuller. Maybe he hires Bubba as a henchman, but then he's like, "No, I don't want to work for you because uh, you condescend to me, and and you know you you disrespect my my hillbilly lifestyle. I'm gonna go to go you know fight with Rip." Or Bubba takes the job, and he just because uh, that would be funny if I saw Bubba in a in a fucking suit. No, that would have worked too. <laughs> and then it's David Paymer and Bubba. He kills the other guy and then takes his place. David Paver and Bubba, that's a fucking comedy match made in heaven. Uh and then I love when Bubba comes back. He's he's the man who uh who does does the fart. Uh, and he comes out of the bathroom and you think he's gonna beat up David Paver and the other guy, but instead he just looks at their dicks and goes, Wow. Wow. What do we got here? A teeny wank. And here's another. It ain't even worth it. <laughs> so I, I think uh, Bubba's the one of the nicest hillbillies in the world. <laughs> oh no, I like well because that's also the worst toilet we've ever seen. It's, I guess it's not a toy, it's a, you know, a trough, or the urinal trough. That's overflowing Just with piss. <laughs> overflowing with piss and I believe shit as well. <laughs> and their heads are about to go in it. Which I, I am surprised that this film had the restraint not to put David Pamer's face in a <laughs> pile of shit. Uh, how, I've seen some nasty bathrooms in my day. How does one just go into that bathroom and go, well, I guess I'll just shit in the trough of piss? Well, and even in the scene, the other guy's like, do you really have to pee that bad? And David Paper's <laughs> like, yeah, I need to pee so bad, I'm going to pee on the pile of shit pee. <laughs> go to another bar. Or just, at this point, pee on the floor. Who's going to notice? <laughs> The floor is cleaner than the urinal. Because <laughs> the floor doesn't have shit on it. Oh, it probably does. But yeah, and there's still more in this scene, because we, we got to get into Zeus's introduction. But I forgot going into this, because yeah, he calls it Battle of the Tough Guys, and he has like a TV ad where he's like, you'll get a, I think it's like $100,000 or something. And it's $100,000 tax free i'm pretty sure kurt fuller isn't allowed to, to do that <laughs> i don't think that's uh legally binding you can't i feel like the federal government it. would have something to say about that. yeah you can't just say it and it's a thing the battle of the tough guys the competition will be open to any red-blooded american man who's got the guts to get into the ring and find out just how tough he is the winner will receive one hundred thousand dollars tax-free. No, I gave it to him tax-free. Oh, okay, well, I guess he has it. I mean, truth in advertising, I suppose. And then, yeah, when he sees all like his collected group of contestants, he just looks like, I love them. They're all scum. <laughs> Which is the perfect, like, meta, like the, the, the motto for this film. They're all scum. Oh, fucking Kurt Fuller. Just, god damn, was he great in this movie. 
And apparently he has some level of disdain for it. Apparently they asked him to come back to do some kind of wrestling t- like circuit where he would like talk about the movie. And he just, according to the IMDb, he just scoffed and refused. No, I take pride in this performance, Kurt Foley. This is uh, fucking Lawrence Olivier level acting Kurt Fuller is doing in this movie. But then Zeus comes in and his entrance is literally picking a woman up by her, <laughs> by face. her face and dropping her in a barrel. <laughs> and I love they cut to this guy in the background who'd been established as having an eye patch and he lifts his eye patch to reveal it's fake just so we can get a good look at this guy. <laughs> I keep the good eye under the patch. <laughs> oh man. Oh okay. And then anything else? Because the next, because because now, man, this is strap in because we're gonna be here for a while. Because we're not anywhere close to the end of this movie. The pie fight robbery. Oh no! Before we get to that, uh, I do just want to briefly mention my favorite character in the film, uh, Lugwrench Cuggins. <laughs> Because this was a, uh, I guess, some kind of like exhibition fight leading up to the Battle of the Tough Guys, where Zeus fights a guy in a like a one of those like warehouses and movies or factories that only produce steam somehow. <laughs> and he comes out and he's got this big pipe, and he's allowed to just have it in the fight because that's how much of a badass Zeus is. He doesn't need a weapon. This guy's allowed to have one, not a lug wrench. He's called Lug Wrench Cuggins. Doesn't wield a lug wrench for whatever reason. Uh, and then just gets the shit beat out of him by, <laughs> by Zeus. I know. I I feel like that should be. You know what? I feel like I feel like some of these holes should be barred. <laughs> See, but I know I, I like that. I like that. That's like an establishment of what a badass he is. Like he doesn't even care. Come at me with whatever weapons you have. I will still kick the shit out of you. I feel like I feel like holds were made for a reason. We shouldn't have pipes. And we should say uh, <clears throat> Zeus is played by uh, Tiny Lister. Uh, who's probably most known for, I think he was in like the Friday movies. Yeah, he's, he was in Get he, Shorty. Yeah, he's in a lot of movies where he plays this kind of character, the big fucking, you know, growling tough guy. But the thing is, he was, he was I guess he was interviewed about this, and he was mad that at the end, Hulk Hogan beat him, because he's like, I could clearly beat Hulk Hogan. It's like, I don't think you know how movies work. You're the bad guy in the Hulk Hogan movie. <laughs> I read that too, and I was... <laughs> I was confused by that, and I was like, I wonder if maybe he was joking, and then they quoted him out of context. Well, because if he wasn't, he's kind of insane. That makes him look insane, if he's like, ah, man, I was the villain in the Hulk Hogan movie, and I lost? It's like Jack Nicholson, like, ah, I hated Batman, because at the end, I didn't kill Batman. (laughs) Uh, No, that, that can't be true, I... I think too highly of uh, Tiny Lister Jr. To, to believe that he is confused. Okay, but yeah, then we get to the the rubber pie the the robber pie fight scene. <laughs> where, I where are they going? Um. Oh. Uh, are they going to to meet the challenge? Is it because like later on, don't they meet Tiny Lister at the whatever that event that outdoor event is? Maybe they're going to sports for kids. I don't know. But for some reason, Joan Severance and Hulk Hogan are now just on a plane together. <laughs> and she's like, hope you didn't make dinner reservations because I know just the place. And they go to this fucking little pie shop that gets robbed at gunpoint. And Hulk Hogan stops the robbers with pies. 
with the same pies at least three times. I don't know if you noticed that. I did not. When he's throwing the pies, they repeat the shot of the guy getting hit by a pie, the same shot, three times in a row. Like it's a fucking Looney Tunes cartoon? Yes. <laughs> that ran out of background? He just keeps throwing pies, but the shot, the reverse shot of the guy getting hit is literally the same fucking shot three oh, times. Oh, I did not notice that. Um, <laughs> and I loved that the song was, I got ketchup on my blue jeans while Hulk Hogan is just throwing pies. And causing far more property damage than probably, than, you know, would amount from the money that was being stolen. Yeah, he's throwing these robbers through fucking plate glass windows and... The fucking owner of the diner's like, ah, thank you for saving my restaurant, Hulk. Like, that's my rip. Just like he was when we were kids, I guess. I don't know when, when they knew each other. No idea what Hulk Hogan's relationship is with the waitress at this pie diner. <laughs> but yeah, and this is another moment of like, he's a he, he's such a fucking hero. And all I'm thinking is like, you should just let him take the money. It would have been less money than all the the repairs on the on the diner. Right. Or do the fighting outside. Yeah, chase him, out the, chase him out in the parking lot and knock his head against his fucking concrete. Yeah. Uh, and then we get to uh, well, what starts out as romantic toothbrushing between the walls of the hotel. <laughs> Not since fucking Clark Gable and it happened one night have I seen so much sexual chemistry than Hulk Hogan and Joan Severance in this hotel room scene. Also, I have no idea why they're in a hotel. I don't know where they're going. I... We didn't miss a scene where they, like, did something where they were, did we? I, I vaguely remember one line that she's talking to somebody on the phone about the trip, and it's some kind of some kind of advertising thing. I don't know if they needed to be more specific or not. <laughs> um, but they're, they're just in this hotel room. Um, <laughs> Joan Severance is wearing the biggest panties, and Hulk Hogan is wearing almost negative panties. Well, and then we get the scene after she comes out of the bathroom, and he's, like, bent over, I think he's, like he, he's going to spit out his uh, mouthwash or something, and she's just checking out Hulk Hogan's fine ass. <laughs> he's almost wearing a fucking thong. You see so much of Hulk Hogan's ass cheeks in this scene. Yeah, but they, but they, uh, they only have the one bed, so they have the thing separating the bed. And then this gets to maybe the weirdest fucking scene in the entire film. <laughs> in the entire in, in entire film history? Because, I obviously, the implication, Joan Severance is like, okay, you take your side, I'll take my side, we'll have this, like, it's like a clothesline with a bed sheet or something hanging, so they don't have to, like, be laying next to each other. And uh, we'll be fine, we'll just sleep through the night. And then she wakes up in the middle of the night, and she's hearing, like, eh, eh, eh. The implication being, he's jerking off on the other side of that bedsheet. Yes. There's no other way to take that scene. And then she looks, I gotta see what Hulk Hogan jerking off, I guess. And instead, it's him, and he's doing push-ups. But the first shot, before you get the <laughs> nose of the... And please tell me if I'm misinterpreting the intention of this scene. Because my notes just say, push-ups jerking off, ankles as balls? Uh, it's the it's the balls of his feet. But is it supposed to look like his balls? Oh, I thought it was supposed to look like his ass. <laughs> I couldn't tell because I couldn't tell either way because I, I was going to say it doesn't make sense because the ass wouldn't be 
proportional size wise, like it's not like she would be saying <laughs> it would but be a that very also, tiny ass. <laughs> but that also wouldn't wouldn't be true of balls either. So it doesn't make sense either way. Yeah, it, either it's a very tiny ass or very weird looking balls. But it's clearly meant to be one or both of those things in that shot. It's not, or is that purely for the benefit of the viewer? We're supposed to think that it's his balls and or ass. I, I, oh, I thought she was supposed to think it was. Well, that's for the yeah, in the the visual language of the scene would suggest that, but the context of the scene that's not fucking possible. She could not misinterpret that in either of the obvious ways that the audience <laughs> would interpret because the the line of sight and the 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 you know the the composition of the scene that makes no sense. Right, because you couldn't just put your balls up. Like you never just see balls by themselves. <laughs> Exactly, and and the way she, the angle with which she's seeing them, she would never mistake them for anything other than what they actually are. We might, so it's just for our benefit. But in the scene, it seems like she's like we're expecting her to go like, "Oh my god, I just saw Hulk Hogan's balls," and then realize she didn't. That's that's what I thought. I thought I thought she was basically seeing the same thing we were. She wakes up, she hears the bed shake or feels the bed shaking, and she's like. Hulk Hogan must be fucking frantically jerking off right next to me. So she pulls back the curtain and she sees what could be a tiny ass or weird looking balls. And I and then she's like, what the fuck are those? And then she looks a little further and she sees that Hulk Hogan is just doing like a thousand push-ups. But that's and going huh, 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 in a way that no one who does push-ups ever does. You cannot physically do push-ups that fast, and even if you could, I doubt it would be beneficial. I think if I you mean, did push-ups that fast, you would lose muscle mass somehow. Don't wait up for me. And he doesn't just sound like he's masturbating. He sounds like Brendan Fraser in The Whale, like the, <laughs> in the first scene when he's masturbating, like right before he has a fucking heart attack. It doesn't sound like healthy masturbation. Uh, God, why, why hasn't this director made another feature film, you say? But yeah, she looks at his... his balls of his feet which may be his balls or his ass and then yeah she just looks slightly forward into the same shot to see that it's not that yeah. <laughs> like it makes no sense uh, and then she sees push-ups and then it's end of scene he's just like don't wait up for me and then yeah like i i think the next scene was supposed to be like them at wherever they took the plane ride to but instead they're like nah uh we're just gonna keep on moving well, because ultimately the next scene we find out that uh, Joan Severance is working for Kurt Fuller. Right. Uh, and then in the next scene, she tells Hulk Hogan that and then they just make up. Well, because what she was in Kurt Fuller's office telling him was that she could no longer do it because she's fallen in love with Rip. Right. Um, and then he fucking slaps her hard in the face. Yeah, and I, I'm confused. What was Kurt Fuller... Tr- getting her to do or trying to get her to do 
I think ultimately she wanted her to seduce him into joining his operation. Oh. Because that scene, co- it comes out of nowhere because at no point did we think anything nefarious about Joan Severance. And then when nor, we find out Nor does was... it add anything because the next scene they completely forget right. it. And they never bring it up again. And then even in that scene where we do find out that there were nefarious schemes behind her, we're still, she's like, oh no, um, I don't want to do this because I'm in love with Hulk Hogan. So it's like we never see her as anyone who would be working as a double agent. And then the fact that she was for a second adds nothing to the movie. Except it has one of my favorite shots in the movie when Joan Severance, he, he slaps her and she runs away. And then Kurt Fuller just sort of like dramatically clings to the door and then turns his head. And it's like the, something out of the fucking Phantom of the Opera or something. <laughs> there are so many weird shots. Like, because uh, I think it's when Zeus is Zeus's introduction they like slow-mo on Zeus's face and slow-mo on Kurt Fuller's face. And it almost looks like it's a fucking romantic drama. Like they're going to start making out. Yeah, it's like two titans have met on the field of battle. Will they fight or will they fuck? Right. Uh, what next? Then we get uh, Zeus challenges Hulk at sports for kids. I, I didn't have any, any notes on that scene. Uh, but then we go... Ooh, when Joan Severance... Uh, Basically almost gets raped in the garage. Which, okay, and because, yeah, the, the guy attacks her, I'm assuming, was hired by Kurt Fuller to attack and rape and presumably kill her. And then uh, Hulk Hogan drives up on a motorcycle like, hey, what are you doing? And then he's being chased. And the guy, the rapist, goes, hey, you're crazy, man. <laughs> yeah, you're crazy, man. All I did was try to rape your girlfriend in a dirty parking lot. Well, my- Why are you so mad? My bigger question with that scene is Hulk Hogan sees uh, some goon trying to rape his lady and then he he's like, uh, stay here, I'll be right back. And he chases the goon on a big motorcycle chase. A motorcycle chase, but it's also like, it's something out of like a Hulk Hogan comedy, like a Mr. Nanny or a suburban commando. Like it's wacky and he's like running up a tree and like Hulk Hogan's laughing like, eh, I just left behind my almost raped girlfriend who's traumatized and clutching her knees in an alley just so I can have some fun chasing this guy up a tree. Yes. And then he drives back to her. Are you, oh, are you okay? I, I, I know I left you behind after that. Yeah, it's a rapid tone chase because they, it's, they start playing fucking wacky music when he runs the guy into a tree off his motorcycle and then he comes back and she's just oh 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 and then it's like this tender moment i i hate when you're upset sam are you okay god i hate it when you're hurt or scared you know i know And I gotta say, Joan Severance, I don't know much about Joan Severance's career beyond, because the only other thing I've ever seen her in was Black Scorpion, which was the, the Roger Corman, like, superhero show from the 90s. Uh, and uh, I don't think that was necessarily a great showcase of anyone's acting. But this movie, like, I felt like she was, like, like too good for this in a way that, like, I might maybe want to see her. Like, that scene where she's dealing with the trauma of what just happened, like, she's treating that like a legitimate actress would. Um, you know... I I agree with you uh, halfway. Um, she is treating it like a legitimate actress would, but I disagree with you that she's too good for this movie. This movie is perfect. She is perfect. Hulk Hogan is perfect. When Hulk Hogan cried in this movie, 
I was like, God damn, Hulk Hogan. But that's, it's you, just the weird. You, you're doing pretty good, Hulk Hogan. It's the weird juxtaposition of he's surrounded on all sides by Joan Severance and Kurt Fuller, who are both consummate actors doing their best with material that hasn't earned their best, but they're they're given it anyway. And then Hulk Hogan's in the middle of it just like doing nothing. <laughs> well, there are parts where he's doing nothing and then there's parts where he is like doing too much. So it's, well, it's when he weird. goes into wrestling mode, he becomes like a monosyllabic monster. He's like, and that struck me as odd. Yeah, there's absolutely no middle ground with Hulk Hogan's acting. He is either, hi, I'm Rip, and yes, I like charity, or he's, uh, but yeah, but I think, I don't know if there's, if I skipped any scenes, but because the, the next note I have is when uh, his brother has gotten the shit beat out of him. Yes, because that's when Hulk Hogan cries, when his yeah. when Zeus paralyzes his brother. Which is when he comes back and he's being taunted, and he has like this slow descent into madness, which culminates in the first of what I will, I'm describing as not a Hall of Mirrors sequence, so much as a Hall of Mirror sequence, because they only have the one. But it's almost like the scene in Zardoz when he's fighting the tabernacle, but just like with no budget. It, it did feel like Hulk Hogan stepped into Zardoz for one scene of this film. It's just so fucking surreal for no reason. And then like back to normal. Well, at least whatever passes for normal in this film. Because it's like it, he walks in and there's a mirror, but in the mirror is Zeus. And I guess he thinks it's really Zeus. So he goes up and smashes and then the mirror breaks and he finds out it's a projection of Zeus. And uh, it's Kurt Fuller taunting him. And that's what drives Rip into the ring. Finally, he is going to take Kurt Fuller's offer to uh, do Battle of the Tough Guys on his network. And here's the main problem with the uh, the villain's plan in this movie. Because at this point, Kurt Fuller has won. He needs to do nothing else. He has gotten everything he has wanted. And then for some reason, inexplicably, the last 20 minutes of the movie... He causes his own downfall and ends up dead by electrocution. I no, you're wrong there. See, and this is the the brilliance and and depth and tragedy of Kurt Fuller's character. He has everything he wants, but he can't enjoy it because the one thing he needs is to beat Rip, not just beat him, not just take everything away from him, but get him to admit by succeeding to his champion Zeus that the better man won. He needs to have him beaten in the ring to fully humiliate him. It's part it's his ego that ultimately dooms him. I agree with you. Shakespeare was a complete hack. Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan really know how to fucking write a layered villain. I mean again, you joke and I don't think it's on purpose. I it's purely all accident, but they stumbled into so much fucking pathos in this film. Again, I say, I am not using hyperbole. I think this might be the greatest movie ever made. I mean, we talk about the movies that we love on this podcast, and it's a short list. It's like Dead Heat and 
Is it uh, short circuit two? Short circuit two, <laughs> maybe real men qualifies. Real men, absolutely out of bounds. Out of bounds, like it's a very boat short trip. list of of like. I don't even know if I'd put boat trip on there. I know <laughs> I'm not even. Dog. I'm not disputing boat trip. It's it's a funny fucking movie, but I feel like it it doesn't hit the top five. But this. I feel like this has to be in that top five, top ten, whatever we're talking. Oh, I absolutely loved this movie. It, like, it never, ever stops being entertaining. Every single scene is a fucking masterpiece of filmmaking. And to the point where there are so many moments where I'm genuinely not sure if I'm appreciating it ironically or if they're in on the joke and yeah. they're just brilliant. Like, like I think they, they have to know that this is funny for the exact reason they're they're doing it for or not or they or they have no idea and they think this is just how you make movies yes no i think this movie is it is accidentally brilliant but i think it's also brilliant on purpose in certain places i don't think so I I, but that's the thing there I are certain places I, where i can't tell if only we could be a fucking fly on the wall of that hotel room if i could go back any place in time I would go back to 1989 and just fucking get the adjoining room, get my fucking uh, glass of water, put it up near the wall, and just listen for 72 hours straight. But, I mean, I I genuinely think that Vince McMahon is more self-aware about his own image and about the stuff he produces than he gets credit for. Not to say that he's a great writer or producer or anything. He's still a huge piece of shit as a person. Or appears to be, is from everything I've gathered. But I think he is at least more self-aware about his image, how people see him, and how he wants to be seen than people imagine. And I think you see that in this movie as well. I think because he's, he's making a movie about his own industry and about himself, and I think he understands like the fact that he made himself the villain. Like That's, that's on purpose. I don't know. It's just so hard for me to give him, give him that much credit. That he I don't wrote a masterpiece intentionally. I mean, not again, I think most of it is accidental, but I think some of it isn't. And I respect the movie for the stuff that isn't. Right. Um, well, yeah, and, and I, have, I still have so many more notes, and we're at the climactic fight now in, in my notes. Yeah, well, we, yeah, I, I talked about the, the Kurt Fuller hypnosis video. And then, yeah, I don't really have many notes as to in this last act. It starts with the the hand grasping test of strength between Zeus and Rip. Um, well, even before that, um, why is the referee checking the ropes and the turnbuckles? <laughs> Everything is legal in this match, but the guy's like the referee's out there and he's checking the turnbuckles and the ropes, and then he will leave, never to return, because anything goes in this match. And my big question with that is. Why not just, like, literally shove your foot up a man's ass? Well, because, like, I guess... Well, there are things still in, like, MMA that are limited, right? You you still have things they can't do? I have no idea. I do not watch that. Not yeah, I've never seen an MMA match. It's not really something that interests me. But I, I know that's billed as, like... I mean, obviously, compared to wrestling, but like just compared to like you know boxing, even that's like the the underground kind of gritty one. And I feel like this is just sort of like that, or at least the the eighties stupid movie equivalent of that. No, at one point Zeus grabs a pole and almost shoves it in Hulk Hogan's face. <laughs> like there are no rules 
Well, yeah, and then, yeah, at the end, he throws him into the ring, and he, like, I think falls into a pit into hell? At, at one point, Zeus is attacking the audience. Like, that should be barred. Not only attacking the audience, did you see the quick, there was a quick cut where, uh, cause, uh, Mark Pellegrino is now, he is, he was beaten to within an inch of his life. He's in a wheelchair with a neck brace and he's like, yeah, rip him, get him. And he falls out of his chair and fucking Zeus makes sure to kick him a few times while he's on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Again, some of these holds need barred. And in my notes, I just have Mark Pellegrino kicked in the kidneys while on the ground equals greatest movie ever <laughs> like you you should be okay i'll allow you to grab a pole and almost shove it in a man's face but what you can't do is kick a guy who just fell out of a wheelchair who's not part of the fight <laughs> you can't do that zeus but yeah i, I mean as far as kurt further is concerned as long as they watch it and that's like, a, that's a Vince McMahon. And he says that, like, they watched it, didn't they? That's fucking Vince McMahon to a T. But then it's so weird with Kurt Fuller's character because then when Hulk Hogan starts winning, Kurt Fuller is tearing the cables out from the control room. And then you see technical difficulties on all the screens. Like, he's cutting the feeds. Why? Well, cause they, I think because it's... Avoiding embarrassment in that moment is more important to him than anything else. It's just he can't let Rip win. He can't He can't lose that victory. Yeah, I think that's the idea. And I think, or at least, whether or not it was written that way, I think Kurt Fuller is a good enough actor that that's what he brought to the to the, the moment, if it wasn't in the script. I was saying, maybe we're giving too much credit to Vince McMahon and too little credit to Kurt Fuller. It could just be Kurt Fuller is the world's greatest actor and brought this character to life like no man could. Like, on the page, this is batshit crazy insane, and Kurt Fuller makes it batshit crazy insane, but brilliant. Because, I, I, I get you mentioned Steven Tobolowsky. Did you ever hear his story about the Steven Seagal movie he was in? No. Oh, it's fucking great. You can look it up. Well, I'll, I'll condense it, but uh, Steven Tobolowsky, I've never seen it. It was um, uh, Glimmer Man. And Stephen Tobolowsky plays a serial killer in it. And uh, eventually there's a scene where, like, he's supposed to, uh, I guess Steven Seagal plays the Glimmer Man. He's supposed to kill the serial killer. And uh, at that point, Steven Seagal was, like, exploring Buddhism or something, some kind of Eastern philosophy. And he didn't want to fight anymore. He was a pacifist. But he'd signed on to this movie where he plays a guy who kicks a bunch of people's asses and kills people. So he had to find some way to, like, he didn't want... He wanted to change the script so that he didn't kill Stephen Tobolowsky's character. And so the the compromise was uh, Stephen Tobolowsky convinced him, like, you know, you, you shoot me and then my spirit will will fly out into the ether and I'll, I'll become one with the universe and it, it'll be a good thing. And then, <laughs> and so, like, he brought that to like he had to change that and bring that element to his performance just to placate Steven Seagal's idiocy. And then they went and reshot it where like they, they shot it so that he didn't kill him and then reshot it. Like, I guess he, 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 he uh, recorded audio of him going, Oh, I'm not dead. Oh, thank God. I'm still alive. Like said off screen. Thank you for shooting me. Steven Seagal. I mean, Steven Seagal's character in the glimmer man. But I'm just saying like, he's the kind of actor that can that, like, on the fly do that and like bring that to a character. And I feel like Kurt Fuller is doing that in every scene he's in, in this movie. Oh my God. He's goddamn brilliant. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we got a fight and then Kurt Fuller 
fucking gets. Does Zeus die? I, he, you see blood pop out of his mouth, and he falls from like an enormous height, and it seems he does fall into hell. And I don't believe he comes out of that hole after that. No, you never see him get back it. up. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure Zeus dies, and then Kurt Fuller, uh, uh, Rip turns around and goes, oh, I'm coming after you, Kurt Fuller. And then he breaks open the window of the control room. Kurt, Kurt Fuller's standing there, and he just backs up into all the loose cables that he's been pulling out, gets electrocuted, and he dies. And then the crowd erupts into cheers. <laughs> Stay away! Which, the only thing that can make this better, this is the one cut that I would make to this movie, is af- right after that scene, you see, like, Kurt Fuller's dead body, and then you cut to Hulk Hogan, or Rip, like, wanting to check on Mark Pellegrino to make sure he's okay. And it's like, okay, my brother's okay. And then he turns directly to the camera and just gives, like, it's not the thumbs up, but it's that Rip thing that he does. Where he, he does like, a thumbs up and a pinky out. It's sort of like the like a sideways version of, like, the rock out symbol, like the devil horns. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, yeah, rip. What should have happened was you should have just cut to, like, Kurt Fuller dies. He looks down at his dead body then just looks to the camera. Yeah, rip. And they just cut out the, the stuff in between. He just celebrates the death of Kurt Fuller. End of movie. <laughs> um, oh, the there, there one change I would have made. Like I said, I'm pretty sure this movie is, like, 99.9% perfect. What I wanted, the one thing I wanted was they do it a little bit, but not full out. Randy, Rip's brother, is paralyzed. And so he's in a wheelchair during the fight. And uh, at first, Zeus is beating the shit out of Hulk Hogan, you know, and Hulk Hogan's down on the mat. And he looks over his brother Randy and his his hands moving. It's like trying to move because he's trying to give the thumbs up pinky out thing that Hulk Hogan's been doing the whole movie. I really wish they would have went full out with that. And then he like gets up maybe raises his hand up in the air over his head with the thumbs up pinky out. And then that's what spurs Hulk Hogan to just bust up and just beat the shit out of Zeus. Well, if you're going to go that route, I think you do that. And then everyone else sees him and and, the entire audience is doing it. And that's what Kurt Fuller sees is like, Oh, I'm hoisted on my own petard. I've lost the audience. That would be, that would be fucking great. The entire crowd, there's fucking triumphant music as Randy's trying to get his hand to do the fucking thumbs up pinky out. And then he just raises it up in the sky. And then the music stops. The crowd goes quiet. Everybody stops. And then they all just fucking raise their thumb and pinky up. And Hulk Hogan now has the strength to topple Zeus. Because I was legitimately waiting for that kind of moment in this movie. Because throughout the thing, you have you establish like two different conceptions of wrestling. You have Rip's world of wrestling. It's professional, and he loves his fans, and his fans love him, and it's there's a wholesome quality. It's all about the kids and the charity and all that stuff. And then there's 
Kurt Fuller, who doesn't understand it, just wants to exploit it for money, and it's the lowest common denominator to him. It's they're all scum. He goes to the underground ring, and you see these kind of wrestling fans who are like, yeah, kill him, and they're all gross and shit. And I thought it was going to be a thing like, he's the enemy because he's degrading the, the spirit of the thing we're supposed to love that's supposed to be wholesome. He's turning it into a bread and circuses kind of dark thing where like he's he's playing on the worst impulses of wrestling fans wanting to see blood whereas hulk hogan plays on the best impulses we're wrestling and we're having fun and i thought that was going to be the push and pull and then the idea is like kurt fuller wants you to be bloodthirsty and then rip comes in and reminds you no that's not what this is about it's about the love of the rest of the ring and the love of the whatever and then i think that would have been a moment to like crystallize that like no we're on rip's side we're rip style wrestling fans we're not zeus style wrestling fans but it's no holds barred so it's not going to be that good <laughs> not well written no but, but it's still perfect yes but I it's mean, still the greatest movie ever made kurt fuller getting electrocuted was just fucking perfect that was the perfect ending to the movie i mean <laughs> he literally says you jock ass as he's dying. <laughs> as he's dying. And then the crowd cheers, and then we just fucking close up, freeze frame Hulk Hogan face, cut to end credits with a no holds barred theme song. Oh my god, a no holds barred theme song. I mean it's like it just it's like giving it to us. Like <laughs> we know you need something to put at the end of this podcast. Right. <laughs> One day. <laughs> Two guys will talk about this on their podcast, and they'll usually end their podcast with a song that kind of relates to the movie they watch. We'll want to give them a pretty kick-ass song to end their podcast with when that day comes. Ugh. No, that that was perfect. And yes, of the of the, the annals of songs that have the movie title in them. Uh, this is a good one. Yeah. No, this, yeah, this was great. I loved every minute of this. Anything else to say about No Holds Barred? Nope, I think I'm good on No Holds Barred. Alright, I, I did not pre-get up my picker wheel. Oh, I have mine pulled up. Alright, so yes, No Holds Barred, by the way, while I'm filling for time while my picker wheel loads. Uh, A-plus movie, definite recommend. Uh, absolutely. Uh, a fun time, like, there's there's good movies, there's bad movies. No Holds Barred is both, uh, but better. <laughs> all right well i've got my first pick if you if you want it yeah mine's still spinning so good well my first thing that came up for me is i don't know if it's gonna be a really funny movie it's just one i've always been interested to watch and it is saturday night live related it's i believe inspired by a saturday night, saturday night live sketch uh bob roberts from 1992 <sighs> Man, i've seen that I nah. <laughs> no, okay. I, I'll take your word for it because I've just always been curious about yeah, it. Yeah, no, but it is. Uh, yeah, no, it was, I think it was an SNL sketch first, or maybe no, I think it was first. I think the SNL sketch came first. Yeah, no, it's just it's like a mockumentary about a guy running for senator, and it's like, yeah. uh, I spun who's Harry Crumb, John Candy, and uh, Jim Belushi is in this. I mean, I would be up for that. I, I mean, I've never seen it. I know nothing about it. My um, only hesitation is we did watch Delirious and it was a piece of shit. Yeah, but it was a fun podcast. <laughs> well, my next one is uh, Eating Raul. Um, no. No? No. Have you ever seen it? No, that's why it's on the list. Oh, I've always been curious okay. about I, it. Yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> it's a weird... The thing about Eating Raul that's weird is... um. 
the uh, the punchline to the movie is the title to the movie. Oh, really? That's not like yeah, no. They it's about a uh, a couple and uh, like a guy dies, and then like the whole movie they're trying to figure out how to like cover up the body, and then they end the bo- the movie by eating him, and that's the end of mo- the movie. That's like the the final joke of the movie is that they eat the guy. That is weird. So it's like, oh, if you saw the poster for the movie, you kind of spoiled the end. <clears throat> All right, uh, well, well, and then I rolled the Shaggy Dog starring Tim Allen. <laughs> you know, it's weird. I think Who's Harry Crumb would probably be a more enjoyable movie. But Shaggy Dog, I think, is a more interesting movie from a podcast perspective. I don't um, think it's going to be good. No, but I want to watch. Because on my picker wheel, I put the, the poster to the movie on. So when... Uh, the choice comes up, the poster pops up, uh, <laughs> the poster to the Shaggy Dog with a Cocker Spaniel with Tim Allen eyes. And do you know what the tagline for the Shaggy Dog was? Why do you think that I would have an encyclopedic knowledge of posters of mid-2000s movies that I would know? Would you be interested if I told you the tagline to the Shaggy Dog was, Raise the Woof? Oh. That phys- that physically hurt me. <laughs> so, my question to you, Ben. Do you want to raise the woof next week? Well, can I just throw out that the one that I got might be a little too obvious, actually. It's Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Uh, man. Nah. I think I'd rather do Shaggy Dog. <laughs> okay, well... Okay, I'm going to roll one more, just so I have a fighting chance here. I feel like Stopper, my mom will shoot, is is too notoriously bad. It's okay. just like, what more is there to say about Stopper, my mom will shoot? Well, actually, I don't know. I was going to say we're probably watching the Shaggy Dog next, but knowing you, maybe not. Because the last roll I have on this wheel, on the, what's well, not a wheel, it's an Excel sheet. Is Fart the movie? (laughs) I can't watch that. Why not? Because I've tried to watch that. So many times I have tried to watch that. I get 15 minutes into that movie and I'm like, I've watched this for an hour, right? Oh my god, it's only been two minutes. No, I can't. That movie is literally unwatchable. I cannot watch it. I say we watch it, not necessarily right now, but, but I say we watch it. And then you do the entire podcast as Mr. Skin of Mr. Skids of Farts. <laughs> that's true. Also, yeah, I would lose my voice with the Mr. Skids of That's all it would be. If we did Fart the Movie, it would just be clips of Fart the Movie, which would just be me playing the entire audio track of Fart the Movie. Because that movie is just a guy walking around farting every five seconds. We're watching it eventually. I I promise you this. I don't care what you think or say. One day, the next day, you're like, Ben, it's your birthday. You got to pick a movie and we watch whatever you want to watch. It's going to be Fart the Movie. No, I, like, I'm i not saying, oh, yeah, I, I don't think I could watch that. I'm telling you, I've tried to watch that. And I could not do it. Well, then I guess it's the Shaggy Dog next week. Uh, okay, I'll leave. Well, because I... I also spun it one more time myself, and uh, I got Moving Violations starring Bill Murray's brother. So I'll leave it up to you. Shaggy Dog or Moving Violations? Well, we've talked about Moving Violations on the podcast before, 
But I think it was in the context. Wasn't that one where like you saw it on TV as a kid and like wanted to rewatch it? Yeah, uh, probably when I was like 11, 12 years old, I saw it on Comedy Central. Whereas you've never seen Shaggy Dog, right? I know nothing of the Shaggy Dog. And neither have I. And it's a, it's a, Tim Allen turns into a dog movie. I feel like there's so much Saturday Night Jive in there. Well, and also Robert Downey Jr. is in it. Oh. It, which is why it's on my wheel. Perfect. I know. I think, and that's a pre Iron Man Robert Downey Jr. So I believe this was like I think this was like post Kiss Kiss Bang Bang pre Iron Man. So okay, so he's clean, he's yeah. sober, but he's not you know right. uh, America's he's, he's favorite it. superhero. He's getting it together yet. It's not in dreams. Clearly, still high right. Robert Downey Jr. Um, all right, no, I'm I'm saying Shaggy Dog then. Okay. Of, of all the choices we've had so far. Shaggy Dog. I'm up for that. Alright, next week we will be watching Tim Allen star in the Shaggy Dog. So until we see you for that, get off the shed. shed. You get